look at this guy across the table from me looking fresh he's got them ord exams all done look at him it's the one and only michael glenn coco kramer wow we're back with another episode a cool one a really really good interview and i have to give props to my dude mike he's the one who set this one up scheduled it and it is one of my favorite conversations yet to this date yeah, we're really batting a thousand with Scott's on this podcast. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I was literally thinking the same thing. I was like, maybe we just got to find the next guy named Scott who can come on here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this this uh, conversation with Scott Erickson, if you don't know Scott, he is a um, an artist. That's how we both kind of encountered his work, a Christian mm-hmm. artist, and makes some really um, beautiful pieces. Some of them are kind of like taking old icons and kind of, updating them in some sense and taking his spin on them and then uh he does all kinds of impressive work that's been he'll tell you about it yeah you'll hear about it soon but we just wanted (laughs) to say man that conversation was so fun man and i felt like we were on joe rogan pace like we we get to almost an hour and a half and i feel like we could have gone three four hours plus because there were so many little avenues that like i was like oh i want to talk about that but you moved on and like (laughs) we just don't have enough time you know what i mean i know it's one of those ones where you're like oh that was awesome now by the way how about this whole other thing even though there's a hundred gold nuggets right there we can just be grabbing at but yes uh scott really was just insightful and, and mike and i were just debriefing a little bit afterwards um and saying that like a lot of the stuff that he's talking about, we just like we connected with because it's shown up in our lives and it's shown up in in the way that we uh, teach in the places that we're we're connected to. And so it's just really fun when you're in the room with somebody who, you know, Scott's another one of those people who's a mentor for us from afar. And to just see how our lives are shaped and molded by people like him. It's just really, really cool to see. Yeah. So um, get ready for this episode. I really encourage you to listen to the whole thing. I know it's longer than our typical episodes, but I think it's great. Just a brief trigger warning that there is some, some pretty honest talk about suicide depression um, that comes up. We think it's really uh, valuable to hear his story and what he shares about, Um, but that does come up. And if that's something that you, um, aren't ready to listen to today, then maybe just put a pause on this one for now. But other than that, let's jump into the episode. Um, But first we'll jump in. What's the point of the headphones? Just if you ain't going to listen to me already talking. (laughs) But before we jump into the episode, here's a brief word from our sponsor anchor. Welcome everybody to another episode of Faith Restructured. Uh, very excited today to have our guest Scott Erickson on, um, yeah. better known as whoop, whoop, Scott whoop. the Painter. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess we'll start with that. Scott, how does it feel? Do people often call you Scott Erickson or do they just kind of give you your handle Scott the Painter? Yeah, it's probably 50-50 in okay. events. They'll be like, this is Scott the Painter. Like, it's a legit last name. I think in the, I think it back in the, back in the histories, it was your name and then your occupation. So you were like Bob the Builder or, yeah. you know, <laughs> Tony the Stonemason. Um, so Scott the Painter isn't bad at all. I probably would do more with it. There's actually a, 
this is this is my crux with my name, Scott Erickson. There's a ton of Scott Erickson's in the world. Uh, if you just Google me, you're going to get a baseball player. Um, Literally, I told Erickson. my roommate from college we were having you on and he was like, dude, the, pitch, the 15 the pitcher? year old pitcher. Yeah. Like, are you going to ask him about his like, yeah. I don't know, baseball terms. I was like, wow. yeah. And then he and then he married a I uh, married a swimsuit model. And yeah, he's he's my Internet arch nemesis. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, but there's a guy in Florida who has a painting business and his name's Scott and he's Scott the Painter. He has Scott the, Scott the Painter at Gmail. And somebody in Florida sent me a picture of his van they were driving and it said Scott the Painter. (laughs) I was like, I have that picture. It's great. It was actually you. It was actually you running around. It's my my Florida side gig, yes, is what I do. I bet Mm -hmm. you you've got that van like taped in your mirror every morning. You're like, this Mm -hmm. is why I'm doing this. I'm going to beat out Scott the Painter, Florida for sure. That's right. That's right. I um, well, I legitimately right here in my studio. Not everybody can see, but you guys can see. I have a picture of Scott Erickson. It says Internet Art Arch Nemesis. Arch nemesis. <laughs> That's wonderful. There we go. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I love that. So, Scott, if you were a, going that was, to. That's okay. a Don Russ. A Don Russ 1997. There we go. That's a good year. <laughs> Perfect. That's awesome. But so there, that's a good that's a good jumping point for one of the questions we ask all of our guests is yep. uh, if you were to sit down on an airplane and now we know that people could look at your boarding pass and think it, you were somebody else. Yeah. But uh, once you let them once you uh, break their dreams and burst their bubble, uh, <laughs> what what do you tell them uh, you do for work? What is your what's your profession? What yeah. You, after the in- initial disappointment of you're not the Scott, the painter from Florida. I'm like, no, I'm the <laughs> one from the from Instagram. Uh, I just tell people I'm a vocational artist, which doesn't answer any of their questions for them. Uh, but I go, that means I do, I do a lot of little things to make a little something. So my three categories that I see is I'm a painter illustrator. So I make imagery and I sell that. Um, I'm an author and we will talk about my fourth book that I've helped author and, uh, hope to continue a career in bookmaking. And then I'm a speaker and I do a performing arts showcase, storytelling, uh, multimedia event, and I tour that. And um, so those kind of three categories, I'm always navigating um, mm. time, time in each one. Um, some like obviously during a pandemic, like speaking really went away. So I spent a lot of time on my artwork. And I actually, during that time, I, I just got a two book deal before the pandemic started. So I was, I worked on two books during this whole hmm. pandemic. That's so awesome, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to take a break from bookmaking. Yeah. Uh, for a <laughs> little bit. In fact, my really agent was process. like, I'm not, I'm not going to let you submit anything for a year. And I was like, that's probably good. So <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Speaking of the book, cause so have you only done one of the two books or did I miss one? Oh. I did Honest Advent. I don't know if you. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. that came out that came out 2020. OK. Um, and then Say Yes just came out uh, last week. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about the book a little bit since we're already mm-hmm. talking about it. So I actually in early 2020, when life was chaos for everybody simultaneously, yeah. <laughs> I think um, you had you made came, this. Say you came yes. to the Pittsburgh show. No, I wanted to. I was out of town at that time, but you Mm. made the show free at some point, I think, online. Oh, yeah. When it started. Um, Yeah, I had it still is. You can the best versions on Vimeo. Okay. Um, it's not my favorite taping. Okay. Uh Mm. it's like an okay taping. The show was okay. The crowd, you know, it was like kind of like a first. 
I was doing a five day run of shows in Calgary, Canada. Mm. Um, I had flown in that morning. I had rehearsed all day with the tech people. The it was like a Wednesday. So the crowd was a little bit smaller. It just, it's not my favorite. There's not, it misses a lot of things. Um, but it's, it, if you want to see what it is, it's there. So I, I, yeah. So when the pandemic started, I was like, I think I should just let everybody like, Hey, here's this. If I, this is about what we're going through and maybe it's helpful. And so, yeah, I just kind of posted it up and let people watch it. Yeah. So could you talk a little bit about like kind of the thesis, I guess, of the show, or, yeah. but also, I mean, that's the same title you're using for the book, right? So are they, how related are they or unrelated are they? They're very, um, just different mediums. Right. When I first started the show, I, I just called it a liturgy of not giving up on yourself. And because mm. uh, that's kind of what it is. But a friend of mine was like, you need some kind of title, like liturgy for not giving up on yourself is like a subtitle. And so uh, I think it was really influenced by um, this band Gang of Youths, who's from Australia. And their album, uh, Go Farther in Lightness, is, was like real transformational while I was writing this. And their last song is Say Yes. Mm. And there's this end, end rant where this, the singer is just like, you got to say yes to all of these things. Just say yes, just say yes, just say yes. And that really resonated to me, with me on what I was proposing, which was, um, I think Say Yes has, it has like, and, and so then transcribing it in a book was a different process being a translating that say yes has a lot of different levels to it which is you're saying yes to the really hard place you find yourself in right now um you have to say yes to your particular incarnation uh so th which is a deeply sacred conversation about the gift of being you that there's a giver of you um probably the main crux of the whole show and even the book is like you can't like love you know a an author long ago said, God is love. And I um, think that's pretty true. So love, love wants to pour itself out into you, but you can't receive love if you secretly hate who love made you to be. Like you are the container. You are, is the only container you've been given to receive love in. And you can't receive love if you're trying to trade it out all the time, being caught up in a comparative conversation. So so you're, so we're like saying yes to where we find ourselves, saying yes to our particular incarnations and saying yes to the, the uh, unknown mystery of walking, what it means to walk forward. Um, uh, I think there's all these things happening there. So like the, the show and the book are like giving tangible practices about how to move forward when a dream dies or something doesn't work out the way you thought it would. Um, but it's also like also a spiritual guide of like, you know, I think one of the big questions we always have is, I, I think, is, is God aware of my life? Mm -hmm. I got uh, Frederick, Frederick Beekner, who's a fantastic author and speaker. He, in one of his essays, he goes, I don't think our real question is, does God exist or not? I think our real question is, does God exist in all of this, like in our life, in the everydayness of our life? Do we see any kind of divine participation? Are we participating in anything? And uh, that's most poignant when you get to what feels like a dead end of your life. You're just like, how, how did I get here? I, is this the end? Is this over? It did. Was I led here? Does God have anything to say about here? These are, these are the deep questions we have. Um, and I, 
it's really hard to in some ways there's like my favorite chapter in the book is about kind of this which is like i can't convince you that god is involved in your life in, in your life already because unless it's your story i can tell you story after story but until it's your story it just feels like i'm telling you a fairy tale um i'm trained as a spiritual director which means i walk alongside women and men with the conversation they're having with god and spiritual direction it's not like what I have come where I'm at, and this will lead into our conversation about why I think people are leaving church or looking for something different is what's really become apparent to me is that spirituality is not, let's, let's start with prayer. Prayer is not about getting God's attention. And this is what Justin and Rick Roberts and I, former uh, host or former uh, visitor on this podcast, prayer is not getting God's attention. Prayer is awakening to the voice and work of God that's already happening in your life. Right. And I would take that a step farther. Your spirituality is not about getting God's attention. Spirituality is about awakening to God's involvement already. Mm. Now that, that is very decentering from the power dynamics that religion relies on because we make, uh, we have to, if you want to be successful in religion, you have to make teams. You have to make an in group and an out group. And then the whole thing is about getting the out group into your in group. And if the out group doesn't want to come into your in group, well, then they get what they deserve, don't they? You know, mm -hmm. and but to but to go, God is already at work already in everybody. Well, gee, you have no power then because <laughs> it's not right. up to you. Right. And that's, no, that's really hard to sell and have a rally around. And mm. but it's way more exciting to live in that reality. <laughs> I could tell it's, you that. Yeah, it's really interesting because Mike and I are both uh, youth pastors by day. And yeah. uh, so I'm working with some confirmation students and we were just talking about prayer. Yeah. And it's interesting when you ask kids, hey, where, so where is God? If we're praying to, if we're going to pray to God, where is God? And they all go, well, everywhere. Yeah. And you're like, well, then that means that we're just, be, like you said, becoming aware of the presence of God. That's in and through everything we're doing already. Yes. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> um, yes. Because like they say that, but at the in the same breath, they say that they also believe in this very transactional. Like if I say this, then God hears it and, and responds to what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is a weird like shift of the mind that, that unfortunately is easier with students than it is with adults <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Because we were at least the way that I was taught was just like this whole you're without, and then you say some magic lines and then now you have it. And I have to go around and get other people to say the magic lines so they can have it because they've already started without. Mm. The problem is, is that that's not the evidence that's there in the world. So we, and, and these are a couple of examples that I have in the book for practices. So how do you practice getting in touch with what's already happening? Mm. So one, I, I say that we've both, we've been given two graces. Um, at least there's many graces, but let's just focus on two. One is you have a physical grace, which is find your heartbeat. If you find your heartbeat and you sit with it and you spend time with that heartbeat, you'll understand that like you only are here right now because of something you're not in charge of. Your heart is beating without your permission. It's happening. In fact, you, you are no longer here when your heart stops beating. So you're only here because of something you're not in charge of. 
-hmm. when you have something and you didn't go and choose it, you didn't go to a store or a shrine or a sanctuary to get that heart. It's just always been with you. When you, we, what we call something that you didn't have to ask for that you've been given, we call that a grace. So you have a grace inside of you. That's keeping you alive. You could, you could focus on your breath. Sure. You can control your breathing, but it's involuntary. We could look at the orbit of the planet. Only life, life happens only on this planet because of the certain percentage we are away from a sun, a star that we're, we're not in charge of any of that. We're only here because of so many things that we're not in charge of. All right. So that's just like a simple practice on like, how many graces are you aware of? How many graces are you not aware of? Maybe the journey of your life is to become aware is to stay open to all the graces that are happening that you're not aware of. That's a physical one. Then let's take a soul one. The comedian Pete Holmes, who's great, has a, has a great bit. I saw this live where he asked the audience, he's like, I want you to, I want to right now, I want you to check if you have to pee or not. <laughs> we all, and then we all like check. And he's just like, what is that? Like, how are we able to do that? And it's a funny exercise. It's like, how are you able to, without using your fingers, how are you able to feel check in with like parts of your body, right? It's a, it's a real interesting experience. So using that kind of experience, I propose, I say to people, it's like, I would like you to say something to God, not with your mouth, not with your words, just with like your being, like just say hi, hello, something. And when you spend time doing that, it's like, what is that? How are you able to do that? And I was like, somehow in all of us is, a doorway, a portal. I like to use the idea of a telephone. We all have a telephone to talk to God. We all have a pathway, a line to the divine. Where did we get that? Did we go somewhere to pick that up? Did we go to a shrine, a store, a sanctuary? No, it's always been there. We've always had it. So then it goes like, so we've always in our very makeup, we have an ability to talk to God. Hmm. That's nothing we ever had to learn, earn. Now, sidestep that kind of a bit. In the history of religion, it's been interesting that there have been some people who've said, I got to go to this other country and I got to put telephones in people, which mm. is ridiculous mm. because it's already in there. So then maybe it's, it's more about instead of going, I feel like I have to give you something, maybe our role in a community in love is to be like, I'm curious about your phone calls. Do you, do you answer that phone? You, you can for sure not pull to pick up the phone. Dude, I remember at a time in my 20s, I ran with a, some guys, not real, not as hard as they did, but like those guys like were never not busy. They were always out. They were always dancing with ladies, going on trips, doing, they never slowed down because the scariest thing in the world for them was to slow down and listen to the phone ringing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they were they were so afraid of the silence of that phone call. I think like what I've started to understand is like it's and I know like some people have different opinions on this and that's fine. But it's just like if Jesus can't save the world, it's not my fault. Mm. <laughs> it's not it's not my responsibility. So what is my responsibility? I think my responsibility is to be interested and offer a space to talk about phone calls is to point out and be like, I'm curious what your phone call, why aren't you having them? What are you afraid of? You know, and like to push people to that phone call. There's nothing that I need to give them. It's already in there. I, mm. I like, you know, this, this happened, this came about in the last month where I was like, 
you don't ever have to be nervous about creating content like because people already have content in them <laughs> your job mm -hmm. isn't to like bring them content your job right. is to is to is to point to the content that's already going on and i was like oh that's that's so much easier mm. now now to learn how to do that as an artist as a speaker as a spiritual director you know that's where the skill comes in with like questions and uh, right. excavation tools this is what justin mcrobertson and i discovered with our prayer books was like oh we're making excavation tools to get to that content these aren't books of content these are excavation tools to get to the content that's already in you that's already happening mm -hmm. we know this is already happening like i use this metaphor a lot it's like have you ever been in your car and you turn on the radio and then a song comes on and you're like <laughs> you turn it up and you're like this is my song this one right here like what are what are we saying we're saying that somehow the artist lyrically and sonically has perfectly described what it feels like to be in my own skin they've given me a vehicle to be honest to get in touch with the deep content the deep conversation that's happening and then that becomes like a prayer to a vehicle to approach god with i can't tell you the number of times where a song will just sit in me and i'll just sing it over and over again because in a way it's like i'm praying i'm saying the things i that are already in there it helped excavate what's already in there that song gave me a way to get in touch with what's already in there that's what i think prayer the spiritual life the spiritual conversation that's what we're getting in touch with is the conversation you're having with existence and the giver of existence at all times. Thoughts, feelings, rebuttals. What do yeah, you think? That's, and that's all wrapped up in 200 pages. You know, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> There's one draft, no, no rewrites, no nothing. <laughs> no. Yeah. I just sat down and just like, ooh, just came right out and didn't have to, I didn't have to spell check or anything. No, 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 no. A bit of that is in there for sure. There, a lot of what I just said is in there also in some other books too, but like, I pivoted a bit of just like what I think this is what I've noticed from my own spiritual transformation. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe, maybe this is the course that you have to go, which is, you know, you, it's very helpful when you're young to make things binary because you know where you can fall into, but as you get, as you move forward and the world and the information you take in becomes much more complex, we make a space for that complexity. I actually think, uh, we could keep the metaphor of binary as long as we said it was a paradox. What really helped me is I heard a Quaker author and speaker, Parker Palmer, talk about, he's like, at the core of my faith, and he's a Christian, is a paradox, which is Jesus. Jesus is God and man at the same time. Mm -hmm. Those are two seemingly opposing truths. How is that possible? But he's like, a paradox is never something that you can solve. A paradox is a mystery that you enter into to be transformed by. Mm -hmm. And I think as what I have, as I've journeyed along, what I found is most helpful is to keep that idea of a paradox because I come across seemingly opposing truths all the time and go, this isn't something that I need to figure out and come to a conclusion to as much as mm -hmm. what does it mean to live in the mystery of this and then be transformed by it. I love that. that yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. No, that's it. That's, I, I've that's got it. so many different directions I want to go. I mean, like I want to come back to some of the stuff with uh, yeah. kind of the excavation because that language yeah. Yeah. Is, is so important. Um, I haven't thought about it that way, but mm -hmm. I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking anyone that's heard you up to this point is probably having a similar like kind of gasp of, huh, 
wow, okay, that's a lot to take in. How do you get to this place? Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so I wonder if you could just share a little bit about kind of what was your on-ramp to becoming aware of the telephone of kind of like, where did you kind of come to be aware of it and what shifts have happened over time? So as you're thinking about that, I'll say, I think the first time I encountered your work was in like 2010. So mm -hmm. I was like a sophomore in high school and um, I was at a conference in Ocean City, Maryland. I can't remember. For the life <gasps> of me, oh my conference. gosh, I remember that conference. <gasps> oh my gosh, were you there? I, I got it. I got to ask you about something because I'm still haunted by something that happened to me there. Talk to me. <laughs> and I never know what happened from that moment. Okay. Okay. Um, so, because what was the Reggie Dabs? Was it Reggie, Reggie Dabs, Dabs? And Shade Claiborne were there. Yeah. Yeah, Reggie Dabs, and then uh, who was the redhead, the redheaded band? That kid, um, Leland. Leland, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I was the I was the live painter. So on the last, with very cool like painters jeans, right? Yeah, with I had cool. I had a cool <laughs> paint all over the. I'm jeans. just a fly on the wall for this conversation. I still I love have. It. I still have some of those. Um, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> no, I can't believe we get to talk about this. Because maybe you didn't witness this, but. Um, it's like the it's like the big the last gathering, like the big moment they're having, like churches are meeting in their groups and kids are crying and stuff. And I had to go to the airport. Okay. And so I like packed up my stuff on stage, off stage, and like the bands playing and stuff. And I gotta make my way out of the conference hall into the hallway and get into a van and go to the airport. And as I'm pulling my suitcase, it catches, you know how they black curtain frame out stages it yeah. catches the curtain and i'm walking and it knocks over a whole side of the stage <laughs> and makes a huge clang and i just kept walking and i walked to the door and i went into the hallway and i went in the van and i never found out what happened oh my god and you maybe don't know if that you is were i that. so wish i did know um i remember distinctly going into the church groups at that yeah. point yeah but if you remember the form format like there was like the bleachers in the back. There was like yeah, the floor sure. seating. And I was like around the back of the bleachers, but I can't okay. say I remember some dramatic noise, but that is <laughs> oh my gosh. so wonderful, just... especially at the end. There'd be trauma, you know, like trauma of like doing that on night one, right? In the mid, and you still got to show up the next day, but yeah. doing that and leaving and, and not leaving. knowing the aftermath, <laughs> that's pretty poetic. And they sense. never told me, they're never like, hey, you messed that up. You messed up that moment. <laughs> You're right. Right. I just like fell over and I just kept walking. Yeah, Mike, so Mike still has the scar where it hit him on the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, but Ocean man. City, Maryland, that was a fun, that was a fun weekend. Well, I'll, uh, I'll just say like that was super formative for a number of reasons for me. Um, mm -hmm. And I, my faith is in a way different place than it was then. Right. For all mm -hmm. kinds of reasons. But like, you know, not to not just because you're on the podcast, but I still have a picture saved of some of the art you did that that weekend because at That's that point awesome. instagram wasn't really happening the way it is and didn't for sure know how to find people for sure. yeah I've got, I've got illegal photos of your art you know somewhere <laughs> you know that's what i'm saying i'm lawyering up right now <laughs> yeah um but i mean even the process of being a live artist like what got you to that place so like that's what i'm like what i'm thinking about when i'm asking like where was your on-ramp and what's your journey been like to get to where you are today talking about paying attention to the phone calls yeah, well, that, <laughs> that's 20 years of experience, so it might take, <laughs> we might not be able to cover everything. 
the live painting thing, I ju- look, I grew up Lutheran, so I didn't grow up in a charismatic community. Um, so I have to like really acknowledge like how weird it was for me because I didn't see anybody else doing it. Um, but I saw when I was in high school, I saw a guy do like a chalk drawing to like music. And I was like, you can do that. I had no idea. And then uh, after high school, I was like a youth leader for a small church for a bit. And I just remember one week I didn't know what to talk about. And I was like, I'm going to do like chalk drawing like that guy did. And so I put some songs together like third day and other things like that. And I <laughs> did it and my students loved it. And I did a few more of those ended up doing it at a camp. Then I went to uh, the, my last years of university was involved with like a college ministry and I did it like a couple times there. And then I did it. <laughs> There's a band that I knew and I would start doing drawings at their shows um, not a Christian band, just like a band, an all woman group called Late Tuesday. And then I moved back to Seattle and uh, this church, uh, somebody knew I did it and this church kept inviting me to do it. And I moved from charcoal and chalk to paint and uh, they gave me an attic space like in their church building. And I just was like, can I paint every Sunday? Like, I don't even need to be on stage. Can I just like paint in the corner? And so literally there's like the stage and then like way in the corner, there was like a 25 year old Norwegian guy like making paintings. <laughs> and eventually they brought me up to the stage like after a year or so, but I just did it. And it, I learned the, the spirit taught me how to listen, how to wait, how to interpret. Um, and then that led to uh, I started doing other churches. I ended up getting into some conferences and then bigger conferences and then kind of became, cause like art at Christian conferences at that time was like somebody doing a painting upside down. They spin it around in seven minutes. It's Jesus, you know, <laughs> literally when I was telling Cole, the story of ocean city, yeah. Maryland, he was like, Oh, is he one of, was he yeah, doing exactly. like the flippy photos? I was like, no. no, it wasn't a flippy photo. No, it was no. Different. And, yeah. And those guys made a lot of money and I probably should have done that because I didn't make a lot of money. But my I was always like, that's not helpful for leaders because then they go back to their artists and their community and they'd be like, "Can you're an artist. Can you make a seven minute painting of Jesus upside down and flip it? And they'd be like, no. And they're like, well, we don't know what to do with you. Um, <laughs> and I thought a better model was being like an artist in residence, somebody who's there alongside all the things happening and then participating and translating what was happening. So I did that for about a decade. Um, I, I just got asked yesterday if I would do it for a good Friday service in Nashville. And I was like, I don't do that anymore. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's not, I'm not against it. It just is yeah. like, I've moved on and I want to incorporate that into other things. But, um, that brought me to a lot of different places, uh, ended up working at a church as like an artist in residence and stuff, uh, but burned out of that job transitioned. I worked for a nonprofit, worked for a design agency. And then um, found myself in my mid late thirties, kind of freelancing, and then um, ended up uh, starting like spiritual direction training. So how did I move to like this on ramp of that? It was the real like spiritual formation school really helped me. Um, a number so a number of things happened to me in my thirties, which is maybe just like what your thirties are, which is. Um, up until that point, I had a number of friends die at young ages. So my conversation with death had started in my teenage years. Um, 
I was, I looked at the kind of community and culture of the Christianity I knew, and I'm really grateful for how I grew up, but I was like, it feels like this community is really obsessed about afterlife and end times because it is uncomfortable with, with what to do with a real life. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. It has a lot, has a lot of charts and mm -hmm. timelines about afterlife, but it, you'd be like, what about now? They're like, I don't know. Crisis yeah. coming soon. <laughs> so it just felt like escapism. Yeah because it was, right. it actually didn't know what to say about now. Um, and my spiritual practices, meaning the way that I lived my faith out in my life stopped working for me. And I had to find other ways, other practices. And uh, like a lot of people my age, like Richard Rohr really helped me with that. He, Cause he pointed to Franciscan practices and Franciscanism, he summed up says, Franciscanism is this, the, 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 physical world is the doorway to the spiritual world and the spiritual world is much much larger in fact i have a tattoo of this there's saint francis mm. pointing to this doorway mm. on my arm and what that means is like there is a larger reality the spiritual world but there's no way to access that except through this reality mm. and i what clicked for me was kind of this like I've spent a lot of time hearing that we can't wait till this is over so we can finally get to the real thing. Mm. And, and, and a real culture, and you can see this in how we've treated the planet, how we think about being human, all this kind of stuff is like, this is all a waste of time. We can't wait till we get to what's real. And there's a great quote by 14th century mystic meister eckhart where he says if god's goal was heaven then god would have never made the earth and i think i just was like there's nowhere to meet god except for now and here mm -hmm. this world this reality my finite vulnerable life is the invitation to know something uh infinite and undescribable and so i have to have a spiritual practice that's about being here and that's really began like a practice of being here. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of like say yes, coming out of that is saying yes to being here. Like we all know that life is a miracle, but sometimes the miracle really sucks sometimes. And what do we, if there's a giver of that miracle, does that giver have anything to say about the suckiness? And I think this is the conversation that women and men for thousands of years have been having with God. And I'm just a part of that train. And then, and then so, that was like my major shift. It was about a faith about being here. And then in that being here, I started learning about, like I started paying, like if you look back on your life, you're like, I have agency. This is the paradox of our life. I have agency to do things. Like if I did sit-ups and took a lot less chocolate sundaes, you know, they would affect my waistline. But there are things that will happen throughout your life that you're not in charge of. Sure, car accidents and surgeries and things like that. But also like, heartbreak and relationships, things that you must enter into the conversation of forgiveness in, and those transform your life. And, you know, Paul says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who starts our faith and he's the one that perfects our faith. There's not a lot of room in that sentence for, yeah, but I got to do all these things, you know? Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. And, and I just really see that the obsession with our own sin and shame for one, you know, religion is almost, we invented religions to deal with our shadow side, but like, uh, 
so much of it is about me and my control. And I just am like, I actually think to be a Christian is to believe there's nothing I have to do to be loved. Mm. And to be a Christian means I'm just good at receiving grace. <laughs> I think that's what being a Christian <laughs> means. Um, and, and then I, I can see that throughout scripture. I mean, like Jesus, okay, let's take this example. Jesus points out there's this one Pharisee praying and then there's this sinner praying and the Pharisees like, I'm so glad I don't, I'm not like this sinner and I do all these things and I'm great. And then there's the sinner who's like, have mercy on me a sinner. And if we take the shame narrative of sinner, you know, he's like, oh, that guy masturbates so much. He's so guilty, you know, like whatever. He is. Right. <laughs> that's for that's your welcome audience. Uh, whatever you think being a sinner means what that person is saying is like the person who's going, I have it all together. Doesn't need God. That mm. is another version of atheism to go. Mm. I'm perfect. I did it all. I don't need to repent of anything. I got it all together. That's just another way of saying God doesn't exist. I don't need God. Mm. The sinner the, the, is to say, I understand that the only way I'm connected to you is through mercy and grace. That it's nothing that's up to me. It's something that's happening to me. And that, and I think that's, this is all of these things have started clicking together. It's like something's already happening in me. Something's already happening to me. How can I clue in on what's already happening? God's, mm. it's like, it's not about awakening. It's not about getting like pots and pans, like God, come down here, which are like, God, come, please come in this place. You know, like I understand the sentiment of that. I participated in the sentiment of that. But that is saying, like, I can exist without God. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus what, what is in the way? This is, this is, I guess, if I summed it up, and I'm sorry I didn't do this earlier, listeners, but, like, I think spirituality, at least my focus is less about what do I need to add on, and it's more about what do I, what's getting in the way to what's already there. Mm. Yeah, I read recently in a book by Roar from the 90s, called um everything belongs yep and he's talking a lot about oh yeah back there i believe you it's uh, i can't it's, it's in I there it's in the background mike but, i will get it it's right there that's what they all say um <laughs> no but he just talks about like spirit like prayer is becoming aware of god's presence a lot of what you're talking about he's like yeah. but spirituality it's not about learning all these things it's about Un you're already there it's about yeah. unlearning all these other things yeah. it's about letting go of all the things you thought you needed to become worthy of god's presence so that you can just be in god's presence and that's yeah. the irony of you know uh, again i've participated in those kinds of things too holy spirit you're welcome here like yeah the holy spirit we, we say in one breath god is everywhere and in the next breath are saying except incantations in, except in me to yeah, bring yeah. god here god is everywhere but not in me <laughs> right right so yeah oh, because because and again that is a way of control control mm. like i think the journey of spirituality is like letting go <laughs> giving mm. up control because then you have to you could only receive but if i can control then i can earn i can control the narrative i can my ego can start to give like a false self and this is what this is what we see with leader after leader who, you know, and I and I'm sympathetic to the professional clergy person because 
it's an incredibly hard job. Most churches want to hire somebody and they're like, and please stay the same way forever. Right. We would like to hire you. We'd like you to stay, you ex- stay exactly the same and say the same stuff for the next 20 years. And there's no possible way every human being grows, evolves, learns. And um, it's incredibly hard when leaders aren't allowed to deal with their own wounds and doubt and stuff like that. And eventually they become like a divided person, like who they are on stage or as a pastor is so different from who they are internally that that separation, that gap becomes so painful that it implodes and falls apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do, and that's a longer conversation about how do we develop a system or develop an expectation that the leaders just as much as the audience or the congregants are also in a process of transformation and healing as well. Yeah. Maybe not. We don't have to go down that whole rabbit, that whole rabbit trail, but um, I'm interested because Mike and I are both cracking up about the uh, email you received from that, that (laughs) sweet lady who you ruined their, her son's relationship or whatever. (laughs) And, and that coupled with just like you said, like pastors and the, and the role that they play, it, it really has felt like over since since the start of the pandemic, everybody looked to anybody spiritual to say, like, what do we find in here? What are we supposed yeah. to do with this time and things like that? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've definitely felt the weight of that. And it's it's almost felt like you weren't able to you weren't able to stop for a second and be like, actually, we have no idea what's going on. I don't know where God is in all of this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so just the the way you think about faith and spirituality now and its relationship with Richard Rohr, like you said, calls it the shadow side, Mm -hmm. things like that, lament, things like that, how important they are to, to the whole conversation of spirituality Mm -hmm. um, and how they've been kind of pushed away uh, by largely we'll just say the evangelical church, but I think Christianity in general. Um, What, what role do you see that playing now? And why do you find that so important? The role of like grief and lament or. Yeah. Grief, lament, like not always having to sound perfect. Like in that, in that Instagram story, like you swear in writing it. And then you have this little back and forth conversation about, she would be just more mad that you swore and all that sort of stuff, Um, which you have the freedom to do. Uh, Maybe you feel you have the freedom to do that. Maybe you don't, but yeah, just like, it not I, always looking perfect, I guess. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> well, here's, yeah, here's the sham. The sham is like that. I just don't think the goal of your spiritual journey, and let's just say the goal of my Christianity isn't to make me a better person. I think the goal of my spiritual practice is to make me a whole person. Just to understand that I react from being hurt, wounded, scared, hungry, these places. That's the thing with these terms. And we're like, they're a sinner. They made a sin. People are like, did you sin? It's like, okay, what did you do? You did this. Why do you think you did that? Well, I was afraid. I was hurt. I was scared. Oh, where did that come from? Well, you know, I really tied into a childhood thing. Stuff like that. And you're like, okay, so you <laughs> did something. But there's this whole back history of why we do things. And, uh, you know, I just think that we've often come to too easy of terms or conclusions to the complexities of being a human being. And I just think, I actually think in scripture, 
and in this faith tradition, there's a lot of grace for the complexity of being a human being. I just think uh, maybe a lot of Western evangelical Christianity has been built on, this is a great product that will solve all your problems. Mm. And uh, we really buy into this product pitch, like, look how much better of a person I am now. Remember these, this guy was homeless and drinking, and then he started coming to church. And now he's wearing a suit and his hair is combed. And he's like, well, did he deal with his dad beating up him up his whole life? We haven't got there yet, but look how good he looks on the outside. <laughs> this is like, it's like the focused on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, so yeah, with the, for one, like the swearing thing, that's so funny. I always like to point out, I was like, the F word didn't even become a word until the 1200s. So that's not in the Bible, you know, it's in the Bible. It's like, no, it's not. Um, and also like, I just feel like it's like moving from the adult table to the kids table of spiritual conversations. Like if that's what you're caught up on, I'm like, oh my gosh, then we can't talk about structural racism and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> I'm getting way off on tangents. That is, there are no tangents. <laughs> Yeah. That particular, you know, let's just talk about that scenario. Uh, somebody, for those who don't know, somebody, a lady emailed me and she's like, I don't know who you are. I've never read any of your books, but my d- future former daughter-in-law. So saying like <laughs> her, her daughter is going to divorce her, her son, mm. has quoted you. And I think it's really awful. And you're obviously not a man of Christ, things like that. And I was like, what a weird email to receive. <laughs> and then I, I showed it on Instagram. And then I jokingly was like, in a way, I was like trying to imagine that scenario. So I just like Googled couples breaking up. And I just like took pictures <laughs> from that and put voice bubbles on it of just like this guy on the internet, Scott the Painter said this. And I'm like... <laughs> How it's so ridiculous to think like a relationship was falling apart because of an internet quote. Mm. But then I posted that and this is where, and I might, I might get really colorful in my language, but this is the, like the bullshit of being a personality online is then somebody's like, that's not peacemaking. You know, somebody, and then somebody's <laughs> like, I can't believe you're making fun of divorce. And I'm like, what the, are you kidding me? And so then I could either like block those people or be like, you're idiots or go, well, what do you think is my responsibility? Like, what are your expectations of me? Mm-hmm. So then I was like, let's sit with this. And then I, cause I made up this guy, like Trevor is the guy getting broken up with. <laughs> so I was like, what if Trevor could respond and be like, Hey Scott, I don't think it's cool that you're making fun of my divorce and be like, hey, Trevor, I'm not making fun of your divorce, man. I'm think it's really funny that your mom emailed me. And then we just like wrote that thing, <laughs> whole thing out. And then it led to, and then I brought the mom into the conversation. And then I brought into like, what do you expect leaders to be? What, it, maybe it's your own stuff about like, if you don't have to deal with your own stuff, you could let all the leaders deal with their stuff or put it on them. And it's like, do you even think that's what your journey of spiritual, maybe you're getting divorced because you have all the stuff in you that you're not dealing with. (laughs) And your wife is just pointing it out. Like Mm. there's a, yeah, it's just kind of leaning through that whole thing. I also did this with like another one. It's, it's, oh, I recently revisited a post where I have a picture of a guy driving a car and he's got a fish on his car and he's reached, he's giving the finger out the window. And last year when I posted that, just because I like to make jokes, I was, it was like, the post was like, actions are always louder than beliefs, you know? 
And then there was like possible other titles. It was like Faith Without Deeds is Dead, A Portrait of the American Church. And then, <laughs> hey, whatever happened to Mark Driscoll? <laughs> and then, <laughs> and that was just a joke. And so many comments like totally dismissed what the thing was about and be like, I can't believe you said that about Mark Driscoll. This is before Rise and Fall of Mars Hill mm-hmm. yeah. podcast came out. It was like, I can't believe you're throwing, uh, that's not helpful, critiquing all this stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what threw you is like a joke. Um, and I was there for the whole Driscoll thing in Seattle. And I, anyways, so this year when I revisited, I was like, I was really angry. I was working on a post about the absurdity of the passion conference uh, this year and a bunch of stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I wanted to express that. And I, so I was just like, I was like, so I was like, what if I did it again? But I, I, I did the whole thing. It's, it's, I learned it from the movie eight mile. If you can rap all the horrible things about yourself, (laughs) then the battle rapper has nothing to say about you. So I just was like, here's all the things I'm mad about. And then I was like, uh, anticipated responses from you. And I literally just wrote responses that people said last year. I just let, wrote them all out. And then I was like, and then here's what I'll think about all day long. It's like, should I do this? What am I doing on this platform? What is, you know, what is pushing too far? Cause I literally think about that all this stuff. Uh-huh. And then I eventually came to the end. I was like, maybe this is my, a possible self-portrait of 2022. <laughs> you know, I'm like, <laughs> I ended it on myself. So I took all the things it's just kind of leading that complex conversation of a human and then just showing it all instead of these like quick binary sinner, that's the wrong thing to say. That's the right thing to say. It's like a human life is way more complex with that. Mm -hmm. This is also, I think, and I use this metaphor and say, yes, the book where it's like, our language is really influenced by the industrial revolution and mechanisms and stuff. And so often we'll say, I have belief or I don't have belief or I believe or I doubt as if they were binary versus an idea of like faith. What if faith is more seasonal? Sometimes you have a lot of fruit you're producing. It's coming out of you. Sometimes you go into a season where things just begin to die away. And then sometimes mm-hmm. you enter into a season where it seems like nothing's there. Like there's no fruit. There's no nothing. You're like, I don't have any faith at all. And then like one day, Months later, unexpectedly, something green comes out of the dead ground and a shoot arises or a shoot buds and things begin to grow again. And you're like, what, again, what's happening to me? There's something mm. happening to me. And you go, look, it's coming back in a way I never imagined it before. That seems to be more of the faith experience I've had that as I've deconstructed or gone through different seasons, there have been moments where an idea of what it all was died. And then Sometime later, something came back to life. Something new shot up and grew and then produced fruit. And then another cycle of that. I think we're much more in cycles like that. Um, So how could our communities be more embraceive of that instead of this? Like, this is is what's so interesting about seeing the American church's response to people deconstructing. First of all, I'd like to say to listeners, I just went through a home renovation. To deconstruct means you love something and you want to live there. Just mm. living there has become uncomfortable because of things that got put up. So you have to sometimes take things off that are moldy or in the way and then reconstruct it so you can still live there. Deconstruction means you love something. If you think that deconstruction means I'm out of here, I don't believe in this anymore, that's not what deconstruction is. Deconstruction is like all this stuff got built on top of this so much so that it's now hurtful. 
and I need to take some of the stuff off to mm-hmm. get back to what's loving. But you can tell that the organization of the church doesn't care about the people <laughs> because they immediately turn to shaming them and to go, well, you didn't really have faith. Matt Chandler's like, well, you couldn't walk away from faith if you really knew the love of Jesus. Mm. What the fuck, Matt Chandler? You can, sorry, I had to swear about Matt Chandler. No, because that's like <laughs> not pastoral. Right, that's right. not pastoral. Matt Chandler wasn't saying that to the people who are in the midst of trying mm. to work out what they love. He's saying that to the congregation who've, 34% of them are thinking about leaving. And he's like, don't leave. I need you to keep mm-hmm. this going. Right. It's like, I just, it's really disappointing from a pastoral level of people mm-hmm. who are like, this isn't working anymore. And we should go, why? And I think there, and then this is maybe some of the things, I think there's many reasons, but I think one of the main reasons is Christianity was never meant to be tribal. Constantly, mm-hmm. constantly, Jesus is like, hey, you know, that person you think is the enemy. Um, yeah, they're the one who's going to like pick you up when you got beat up and they're going to pay for your hospital bills. Right. You know, that one who's the outcast uh, or who is not even a Jew and a Gentile and a heathen. Do you see the faith that's happening to them more than maybe any faith I've seen in Israel? Mm. It's constantly about breaking the team making and inviting an open table. I think, I think there's a lot of disappointment that people have seen. And I'm not saying all churches, obviously. I love the church. I'm a part mm-hmm. of the church. But I think there's a lot of organizational churches that just showed they're really about team making and about power. And people are like, you actually don't believe this, do you? This is more about team making and power than it is about making an open table for everybody. Well, what's amazing I- is that that doesn't leave any room right? The, the Matt Chandler comment for, I believe, help my unbelief by your mm-hmm. faith. This will now happen. Totally. Apparently faith and unbelief warrant at least one healing from Jesus yes. in, yes. in the gospel narrative. And so yeah. um, I, it just blows my mind. And that that's really why we're doing this together with Cole and I, and why we want to interview people like you, because I think so many people like even your um, analogy of the home renovation, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. I think every person, especially if you've tried to do a renovation yourself, you're like, I can fix plumbing, even though I've never done it because YouTube <laughs> yeah. exists. You start a project and it takes oh twice, if not 10 times as long as you thought. Totally. And then when mm-hmm. you start to peel Cost back money. <laughs> walls, you start to take off boards, you go, oh, the project I thought was this. There's yeah. also black mold behind this. There's now yeah. asbestos. This project, there's far more stuff we have to do than we thought. And when people are deconstructing because they love this faith, as they start to question one conclusion, it makes them question other ones too. And they didn't recognize how interconnected this stuff was. I I just, I really like that analogy because I'd followed your renovation stuff and how tough it was uh, for so long. And we had to go live somewhere else. We couldn't, (laughs) you, the other thing is you can't live in a renovation. You can, but we did a full house renovation. So we had to go live somewhere else. So it's ridiculous to expect those that are deconstruction that they would still live in the house. Right. And I think what's really hard is nobody knows where to go. And then it was during a time that we're like, we'll just stay at home. And so then it became very isolating and stuff like that. Mm. I mean, I think we've maybe hopefully we can find pockets of conversation and things like that. And what is the things that were being deconstructed? We were like, Hey, we got to start kind of pulling some. And then we found out that 
there are some leaders that have some really bad habits that were being destructive because they weren't dealing with their own spiritual lives and they're embezzling money or they're picking up on women and they're married, you know, and right. things like that. And then we start pulling back and you'll be like, oh, wait, there's a lot of white dudes in this. And it seems like if you're black, you have a much different experience being in this community. That's interesting. Mm. We have, and then, and women and things like that. And then there's like, oh, we pulled away. And we're like, oh, look at, what are we doing with all this money? Oh, interesting. Is that how we're supposed to spend money as an organization? Cause you've got a big car and mm. these people, you know, and you're like, we found things, <laughs> we found human yeah. things in it. And then, and then the organization was like, well, you don't have faith if you want to walk up, if you, if you want to keep pulling these things off. And you're like, I don't actually think it was, I mean, I, so I think there was like structural things about like church and property and money and power and celebrity. And those things are getting revealed. But then I think there's also ways of my next thing. And I don't know if I can accomplish this, but what I've been slowly, quietly working on is like a lot of our thought about God is based in platonic thought, meaning you know, if you imagine Sistine Chapel, buff God with drapery, finger, Adam, no drapery, small dick, you know, uh, finger. <laughs> and that idea of like, God is something other than me. And there, I think that painting's famous because it's beautiful, but it's also really famous because it speaks to a deep shame we feel where it's like, I'm never good enough to get to God. I'm always just a little bit too far away. And I think that image has actually become very unhelpful to our psyche. It kind of corroborates something that isn't true, which is I'm always, I'm never going to get there. And I got to keep trying and trying and trying and trying and I'll always be separated. And I think like, I think, I think culturally we're finding where like our spiritual practices just like I did in my thirties are like, these aren't working anymore. These ideas that we have of God, that God is separate. We got to bring God here. Like I think, and I think what I would like to offer in my own humble way is like, I'd like to update it like a vi visual vocabulary for, for a more helpful way forward. But I think that's some of the things mm. that I think people were like, this just isn't working anymore in the complex world I live in. Um, it, is that I don't know. How do you think? What is your experience with all that kind of stuff? I think you're I think you're really on to something with uh, the like the platonic view of God and and just how like we I mean, there's a book out. I, I don't remember the the title of it or, or who wrote it, but well, actually I actually know the title because it's the, the concept is original blessing. Right. Okay. That, mm -hmm. that we we were not created sinners. We were created as something that was very good. And we were given this blessing by God. And yeah, along the way, we've lost that. Yeah. And we've like, we've lost that connection. And so the process of this thing we call faith is getting back to a place where we can look in the mirror and say, not only are we loved by God, but that it's good to be us. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's what you're, you're saying, like you, th totally. that we're getting at is like, Oh, I think the You're theory, stuck in this place. The theory of original sin is really destructive. Even just because, like, I I was talking to somebody who's like a Calvinist, and he's just like, it's really hard to get that out of me. And I was like, I understand. And there, mm -hmm. because you'll find evidence that supports that argument. I just like, but what's the fruit of having that? Do you think? Do you find that it's that it produces good fruit in your life if everybody you look at is just like they're a piece of crap they're a piece of crap they're a piece of crap they're, right you have a baby and you're the baby comes out and you're like i love you so much but i know you're a piece of crap 
until you can get to the age of consent and you can say the magic sentence. Like what? Yeah, right. It doesn't produce fruit if there's no good fruit in that. When it totally mm -hmm. reduces the value of what we mean by the image of God, right? Yes. I mean, the moment sin happened, whatever language we want to use around it, well, now everything's bad. And now creation is bad. Yeah. I created the world, created humankind, all these things. Yeah. Good. That's the way that Genesis kind of talks about it. However, people want to interpret it. But now because of one thing, it's all ruined forever until you say the magic word. And it's like, no, like there, there is still goodness in us. There's still, uh, again, totally. I'm still thinking about this, the, the telephone connection. Mm -hmm. It's about becoming aware of that. It's about yeah. affirming that goodness. It's about to learning to recognize that, that God is still making use of creation in beautiful ways while not yeah. just throwing it all out. And that's, I think, what leads to mm -hmm. this escapist theology that's so prevalent in so many different kind of um, mm. ideological communities. It's like, well, because everything's bad here, it's always going to be bad. The only reason we can get to something good is if, you know, we get to heaven where everything is going to be magically good and one then, day. And then, <laughs> what is, and then what is heaven? Well, I won't be sad anymore. And I won't, like, there's a- I won't feel a, pain. <laughs> I won't feel pain. There's a great comedian, Moshe Kasher, in his Live in Oakland album. You can listen to it on Spotify and stuff. It's amazing. He's Jewish, but he has this great bit where he's like, I don't feel like Christians have really, they've spent a lot of time on hell, but they really haven't sold heaven very well. Because mm. he's like, <laughs> all they've said <laughs> is like, well, you get to be with your family forever. And he's like, have you gone and visited your family? <laughs> And he's like, by the evening, you're so annoyed with everybody. He's like, that's it. That's all you have to sell. Again, it is. It's I'm just thinking about this. Our what we think heaven is again is like when I can finally be perfect, I won't have to deal with all of this mm. again. It's like the goal of my spirituality is become the best version of myself. Instead, because then I can control it. It's very controlling to be like, that's sinful, that's sinful, that's evil, that's sinful. That's, that mm -hmm. is you controlling the narrative. If you were to speak to God and God was like, you don't know what's going on inside of that person. You don't know the conversations I have with them. Yes. See, it's like about letting control of like, it's not up to you. Mm -hmm. and, and the world becomes so much more enchanted, engaging, to go, maybe everybody I meet is having a conversation with God that I don't know about. Would I have the humility to ask them about it? Mm -hmm. You know, and that, and I can tell you story after story of when I have like participated in that, people have told me about their miraculous encounters with God. Like uh, my friend Gideon here in town is a pastor of a church. And he was like, yeah, this one guy came because I was asking about the spirituality of Austin. And he's like, there's a lot of Christianity here, but he's like, there's a bunch of, you know, non kind of Christians, but Christianity. Cause you think Texas, everybody's a Christian, but mm -hmm. right. He goes, yeah, this one guy came in and he contacted me and he's just like, I know there's some kind of mystery beyond all of this. I I've bumped up against it. I don't know what it is. It, do you talk about that here? And Gideon's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've all bumped up against the mystery. We just happen to call it Christ. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, that's what mm -hmm. he said. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, welcome. You, you bumped into the mystery too? Cool. That's, 
<laughs> I love that. We talk about bumping up against the mystery. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Man. yeah. yeah it's well, almost like in spite of what what else is going on in the world we as people of faith or people who connect to christ in some way like our our main goal here is to is to find that and help other people find that and connect into that and it's so much the opposite of like let's point out all of the bad that's going on because it's not going to look like this in the future like and it's just weird yeah yeah no and i think as we get Look, I could I'm maybe I'm just imagining rebuttals to this from people who are listening, but like, so what is what is like disciple making and discipleship look like? Well, I think when you get involved in a human life, we're gonna start getting into the stories we tell ourselves, the traumas we've experienced, the you know, like I've been a Christian my whole life, but there was a, a season of my life that was very suicidal. And uh I I, I like to say, as like, look, I have Jesus in my heart, but that didn't mean I didn't want my heart to stop. Mm-hmm. I just talked to a friend. You remember, it was like a couple of years ago, there was like four pastors that all killed themselves. It was like kind of like a weird, it was like, yeah. whoa, what is happening? And I remember being in some conversations with people about like, if you think like, well, you're thinking about killing yourself, you got to get more Jesus. It's like that again, you're trying to pitch a product. You're making God a product. The answer, like, I'm not saying the answer isn't Jesus. I'm saying, you're thinking about suicide because you're caught in a really bad narrative about what you think life is and, and how you think you can't get out of it. What you need to do is deal with those narratives. What you need to do is find a place to share your pain. So when we talk about disciple making, we're talking about getting involved in lives and then going through all the layers that get in the way of that, the things we tell ourselves, the things that the places we came from, like how do we keep like uncovering that which is getting in the way of love, that which is getting in the way of grace, that, you know, and Mm. that takes time. That is a journey with people. I'm so, if we thought about it, I think if we spent time, all of us, if we just, this is a Fred Rogers thing, if we just took 10 seconds to think about the people along our path who cared for us and listened to us and loved us and help us become the people we are today, it would be so many, we'd be so grateful. Is that not disciple making? Is that not like, you know, this is this is what I think it means to, to do disciple making is to go, let's talk about what we think our identity is. Are we alone in the universe? Is is creation, is, is life just something we do on our own or is it co-creative? Mm. Is anybody listening? Does, what is prayer? What does it mean to care for our neighbors? Are we interconnected as people? Are we interconnected as an ecosystem? You know, these are all the, these are all Christian thoughts to me, you know, like, I don't know. These are, this is what disciple making means to me. It's not like, do you have the right theology? Mm. You can look at the life of Peter. Even when Peter is like the head of the newly formed church, he has this vision. He goes over to these Gentiles house. He's like, I've never eaten with Gentiles. And then they like, they speak in tongues and he's like, oh, oh, well, apparently this is happening now. I was, and I'm just like, so Peter was the leader of the church and still like, I'm still have a lot to learn, (laughs) you know, like, like, (laughs) right. Just because you're, it doesn't mean you like all of a sudden you're done. Like it's a journey that you're on of constantly being the spirit still working in the world today. Well, I like the language of naming the mystery. Um, Carl Bart had this, um, reformed theologian who does not endorse original sin. So put Mm -hmm. that in his category, but he had that famous uh, piece of art called uh, the crucifixion by Grunewald or Grunewald, however you say it. 
And yeah. his whole thing, he had that over his desk for everything he worked on. And he focused mostly on John the Baptist pointing to Christ on the cross, naming the yeah. mystery. Yeah. He's like, I don't want people to get caught up looking at me. I want them to look not even at my finger, but look at the thing I'm pointing to. And yeah. I think discipleship's about helping name the things that people already know to be true. Like people yeah. are experiencing so much of this in their own faith journeys, even if they don't call it that yet. It's about helping talk about the mystery, like your friend Gideon's talking about. Like, yeah, yeah we just, we call it Jesus here, but yeah, we talk <laughs> about the mystery. Um, yeah. I, I just think that's I, so important. I don't have this. So I've been talking with some other friends who are pastors and um, like, I'm still forming this because I, I mentioned, because I, one of them was like, so if you don't think that you have to go out and evangelize, if you're saying that like God is already doing something in everybody, then what is the function of like the church? Mm. And this is, we were talking over beers one night about this. And he goes, I think what I've come to find is like, we, we, we provide a table for when people are hungry, which some, cause I think that people, let's, I mean, I participated in this too. I did like evangelism and street preaching and stuff like that. So, you know, in that you go around, I just had this interaction with a guy in Franklin, Tennessee, because I was waiting outside the venue and this guy's like street preaching and there's nobody there. And then he just starts yelling at us. And me and my friend, <laughs> Melissa are like, we're Christians, dude. Like, what are you, <laughs> maybe he's like not Christian enough for him. Um, but my friend who's a pastor was like, I provide a table for those who are hungry. You can't tell people they're hungry mm. if they're not hungry, but when they're hungry, they're going to be like, where, where can I eat? Mm. And mm. I think that's a real loving way of going. Everybody. And I think roar, I know other people have said it. I think roar does a good job where he says like transformation happens either through love or suffering. <laughs> like either yeah. you love yeah. so yeah, much that right. you're like what's <laughs> happening to me or something awful and you're like i gotta rethink everything and but we 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 live in a massive culture of distraction so people can numb out so you can't go to people and be like you need this they'll be like no i don't i'm fine but there will be a moment where like either love or suffering will happen and they'll go where do i go to talk about this and i think you know not only in the function of communal and and uh, rituals and and all that kind of stuff but i think it's like making a table for when people realize they're hungry and and providing a place for them to come and sit having that table open for them to come and sit and i think that's very like i'm gonna let god do his work in people i don't i'm not gonna like i have to control this we have to get all these it's just like i'm gonna make the table and provide a place when they come you know, and then we could talk about, I don't know. I don't want to, I'm not in like church planting. So like, well, how yeah. do they come? Do they come through a Facebook invite? Do they come through a friend invite? They're like, I don't, I don't know. That's just like maybe the core kind of idea or stance that mm. then is like, it's, it's not all up to me. It's, you know, yeah. and then trusting that, like where you find yourself, you know, like you probably made decisions about your jobs, but you also felt led to that. I made decisions about my job, but I also feel led to it. So we have like the spirit leading us to the places we need to be. So we need to be in cooperation with that spirit to trust, like, just where do you want me to be today? How can I be available to what you're doing already? I don't want to miss out because of all the things I think I need to do. You know, this is like, I often think my job as an artist is just to be, mostly my job is just to be a listener. I come into this space 
hmm. most mornings for a, sometimes for an hour, sometimes for 10 minutes. And I just go, I just, I'm listening. How, how can I be available? What's what, what's on today? What, what can happen today? You know? And just, yeah. it's the stance that I keep, I try to keep throughout the day. And that's just where I've been led to, you know, there have been times in my life career wise where I had to do every job I ever got offered, but I'm at a spot where now my conversation is what, what can I uniquely contribute? Because that's where I've been led to. Anyways, that's a, that's another long story. No, thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. We want to be mindful of your time for sure. Um, yeah. I so, got kids getting out of school in a little bit, so I got to go. <laughs> so uh, could we hit you with some rapid fire questions? Let's that- do it. Let's um, do it. Yeah, we asked a couple Blue, of listeners. Carrots, um, bon, jo- bon Jovi. Uh, <laughs> did you know carrots aren't naturally orange? I learned that recently. What? Okay, just look up Netherlands and carrots, and you can figure that out. Everyone okay. listening and everyone Amazing. talking here. So maybe Cole and I will kind of. It was just like a truth bomb and walk away. Like, <laughs> I know, man. Figure it because out later. ironically, I don't buy the multicolored carrots. I only get the oh, the purple so, and the white. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, this isn't right, but it is right. All right. So uh, oh we asked gosh. a couple of people. So, uh, however you want to answer these, okay, go for it. Okay. So this is from Will in Tennessee. He's a tattoo artist. He says, as an artist. I often yeah. find myself struggling to create art that directly reflects my beliefs in a way yeah. that's palatable to most people. So what's your thought process behind telling such clear personal stories and reflections on your faith while simultaneously trying to make a piece that'll speak to people of all backgrounds? It's a great question. It's a great question. For me, the way that I approach that is I have to find symbols and metaphors. So, uh, And I think what's really helpful as an artist, and this is something I personally have said is um, I have rules, which is I never, it's not that I've never, but I don't make crosses and I don't make pictures of Jesus because we have plenty of those. So I give myself limitations on how do I talk. And then even in like a writing exercise, like if I was with a group of college students who are all Christians and I was like, how would you describe your faith if you couldn't use the word God? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, faith. <laughs> like I gave all the buzzwords and I was like, could you still describe your faith? And they're like, I don't think I can. I was like, so you only, so then what, what then happens is you become obsessed with those words and your word policing. You're not listening beyond the words themselves. And another story. So with artwork, so, you know, maybe this artist wants to do crosses and pictures of Jesus. That's fine. But I would say, how can you represent aspects of what is, forgiveness look like if you can't use a cross or jesus it could be some kind of form of reconciliation bringing something that's been separated back together what does hope look like hope is like realizing that the story isn't done yet that you're in the middle and not the end how would you what does it look like to have perspective could that be an eye class could that be a ship in a larger context could you know like what are Mm -hmm. the symbols and metaphors that speak to those things and then start developing that. That's what I've been spending the last decade doing is developing a visual vocabulary for these things and, and still am. Like when I come across something, I'm like, mm, how would I image that? Like I was reading recently this uh, great uh, Dr. Turk, Kurt Thompson's book, Soul of Desire. And he talked about this process of like constantly growing a little bit every day. And, and I was trying to help my, myself understand that thought. And I was, uh, so I was just thinking of metaphors for that. But one was like a Russian doll. You know, mm. like <laughs> he starts off small and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's yeah. like 
layers and layers and layers and layers and layers, little layers, all of a sudden it's bigger, you know? So it's like, oh yeah, you start small and add a little bit, 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 you know? So that's like a, an image, a metaphor. It, it has nothing particularly aligned with any religion, but when I speak to it, I could be like, this is something about my life. So stuff like that. That's, uh, that's, that would be my encouragement. All right. This question comes from uh, Emily and she says, what has been the reception response to some of your art in your communities and how has that impacted your creative process? Hmm. Um, that's a great question, Emily. I mean, communities is very what ge geographical, cultural, religious. Um, I would, I'll just go this way. Like um, I feel, I say this with all humility, but I, I, I don't have a lot of competition because it's kind of a category not a lot of people think about. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I, I feel like my stuff's kind of hitting at least the zeitgeist of a lot of people's spiritual journeys right now. I mean, Mike, I see you have a picture of mine on your back wall. And then Cole, I see you share the same love of whiskey and scotch. That I do. Um, but he like hung that right before that you came out. <laughs> I bet he did. Look, I'm blocking I bet he did. other ones on purpose. I didn't that, want to I bet he did. Weird, That's know? so funny. <laughs> so it's been really humbling, honoring to like feel like I'm helping people. I'm making excavation tools for people. I'm helping people go, I'm having this kind of journey as well. This helps me get in touch with that journey. And um, one real surprising thing that happened in the last year on Twitter, this girl was like, oh, I was about to, I was meeting up with this guy to go on a date and I went over to his apartment and I saw that he had a Scott the painter art hanging up and I knew I was going to be all right. <laughs> That's awesome. uh, and then, and then a bunch of other people were like, I've had the same thing. I see they liked him. And I was like, oh. Oh, okay, this is my type of person. And then somebody was like, Oh, I went to this church small group at a home and they had Scott the painter stuff up. And I knew it was like the right spot for me. And I was like, what is happening? Like I just made stuff. <laughs> it's like my own therapy. And then I put it out there, but it was becoming identifiers for a certain kind of practice or perspective in the world. And that was, that's unexpected. And I'm really humbled and honored by that. Hopefully it stays a good one. You know, if people are like, <laughs> I saw that it's not Scott the painter and I realized I need to get the heck out of there as fast as I can. Yeah. Cause it, you know, so I filed divorce papers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah cause, because his <laughs> art made my daughter-in-law leave her. Shout out to Trevor, man. Well, okay. This is, this is, uh, you know, Holy Spirit's welcome here for this next question then. So, uh, this is from Jason. Um, from the Pittsburgh area. He says, what's it like as an artist to see your work permanently tattooed on people's bodies? I see that on your Instagram, they tag yeah. you. And is that weird? Humbling? It's, uh, it's really, yeah, humbled and honored. It's really cool to be able to uh, give a way to tell, you know, tattoos are, you're trying to tell a story. Mm. So being able to give an image to tell people's stories, um, it's really cool. So I, I get it. I get like why I I've know some artists who are like, don't use my stuff. You got to pay me, you know, for the rights and royalties. And I'm really open-handed with it um, because people will get it without your permission or not. So I just <laughs> have like a thing that's like, here's questions I always get asked. Like I have a, I have a thing on my website and I, cause I get asked twice a week at least about tattoos. <laughs> and so I just send it to them, but it's just like, if you want to give me a tip, cool. You can use my images in any way you want. I just ask that you send me a picture. I'd love to see it. And that's really it. I won't design your tattoos. 
Um, but here are the questions you're probably asking yourself and here's some solutions to those. I, Cause I think people are like, I'd like you to design my tattoo and I, and I don't have time for that. But I'm like, I don't think you want me to design your tattoo. I just don't think you know how to image the story you want to tell. Mm -hmm. So why don't you look up other ways people have done that? Why don't you think about the symbols associated with that? And actually your tattoo artist is there to help you with that. Um, they're not just like some gruff guy that's like, what do you want? Do it. Give me my money. <laughs> All the tattoo artists I've worked at, at least I've like brought them stuff. and be like, this is what I want to try to do. And I've worked with them hmm. um, and they've been great. So yeah, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. That's it's really funny to see where stuff shows up. I have a picture. It's when um, Ireland legalized gay marriage and on the New York times, they had this guy holding this like rainbow flag and this huge crowd. And my friend Cameron sent it to me because she's like, dude, look on in the inside of his arm. And it's my lion tattoo. It's like my lion image <laughs> that I have the tattoo of. It's yeah. Hard to get to. It's up here. And she's like, do you know that guy? I was like, I have no idea who he is. <laughs> like, and I don't even, he's in Ireland. I don't even know how he saw my stuff. The lead singer of Ren Collective has that lion on his arm. Okay. And he didn't know it was me. He saw it somewhere and got a version of it. Um, yeah, it's really funny to just see where it goes. I'll, I'll like, there's a hashtag, like hashtag be not afraid. I'll look up and I'll find my stuff on people. I've seen mm. it in Russia and France, like all over. That's cool. That's cool. bizarre, man. Yeah, that's fun. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for taking time to chat with us today. And you got uh, it. Ho hopefully you can make it to the school in time. <laughs> I'm just standing out in the freezing cold. Where's my dad? No, I got, I got some time. But, um, Thanks, guys. If everybody is who's listening hasn't heard of you, um, where can they find your work and uh, specifically your book, Say Yes? Yeah, Say Yes is available everywhere. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell's Book, IndieBound, wherever you want to buy it, local bookstore. It's great to support, but we all know that Amazon gets it really quick. So, <laughs> um, so if you want to do that, that's great. There's no, it's just whatever you prefer. Um, I'm Scott the Painter on all socials, most active on Instagram. Um, you can contact me there. My website is scotterickssonart.com and I've got a robust library of images. You can get a print and hang it in your house and make a beautiful space. So there you go. Oh, I'm Thank also so uh, touring Say Yes the Show one more year and hopefully uh, we'll have dates coming out. So hopefully I end up in your neck of the woods. So please come out and participate in the liturgy. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Yep. Take care.